Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, folks. Our Wimbledon coverage this year is sponsored by Local Tennis Leagues, the home of friendly, competitive tennis in the UK. With over 10,000 players in local tennis leagues up and down the country, it's never been easier to find someone locally with a similar ability to have a hit with. It really is tennis on your terms, competitive and with total control of when and where you play over eight week rounds. It's also a fun way to get fit, meet new people, make the most of your local park or tennis venue and get those competitive juices flowing. And it's absolutely open to all standards. You just need to be 18 or over to play. So whether you're at the beginning of your tennis journey like me or a master on the court like me, there's something for everyone. Once you're signed up, there's also the chance to win prizes, play for points and receive a free tube of tennis balls just for playing your matches. You also get a host of other great benefits, including access to the Wimbledon ballot. So what are you waiting for? Join local tennis leagues today at www.localtennisleagues.com and use our exclusive checkout code WEEKLY50 in capitals for 50% off your £18 entry fee. That's www.localtennisleagues.com, WEEKLY50 at the checkout. The link is in the description. So get ready to play some friendly competitive tennis on a court near you. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel and Kim on today's Wimbledon Finals catch-up, sponsored by local tennis leagues. Novak Djokovic wins his fourth straight Wimbledon title. Elena Rybakina seals her maiden slam. And Barbora Kuchikova picks up her ninth Grand Slam. Kim, today is the 10th of July and we are here to catch up on finals weekend at Wimbledon at Tennis Weekly HQ. We now know our 2022 Wimbledon singles champions. They are Novak Djokovic winning a fourth straight title and Elena Rybakina winning her maiden slam title. And I've got to say, Kim, I feel like with this tournament, the two champions we've ended up with, it has very much felt like a dose of the new and the familiar. Yes, it has. We've had a a bit of a tale of two halves across the two draws, I suppose, (laughs) because, you know, on the women's side, we've got fresh blood coming through, winning titles, and, you know, pretty much anyone in the draw could have ended up winning, which is, you know, to be fair, kind of what we said two weeks ago. Um, Whereas on the men's side, you know, it's Djokovic uh, yet again, you know, fourth straight title. (laughs) Yeah, seventh Wimbledon in, in total. I think, you know, I certainly was expecting this to happen. It has happened, I think, you know, actually the final stay was pretty much par for the course as well. Um, so, I mean, it, tennis is giving us these sort of two different aspects and, and angles, which is quite interesting for, you know, different reasons. But yeah, um, I mean, it's been a good finals weekend regardless. You know, the matches um, were entertaining affairs, um, you know, regardless of the outcome. Yeah, and it's been a really hot weekend. Great weather. I feel um, that has graced us in, in London that's really I think added to the tournament just kept everyone 
in high spirits. So we're going to be talking about the men's final first, then the women's final, as well as wrapping up all the doubles. And we're also going to be revealing our collector set winner. So there's lots to discuss, as always, on the pod. But uh, yeah, Kim, let's start with the the men's final. Novak Djokovic defeating Nick Kyrgios in four sets. 4-6-6-3-6-4-7-6. Novak Djokovic, 21st Grand Slam, goes one behind Rafa. He's now got seven Wimbledon titles, which is equal with Pete Sampras and just behind Roger Federer as well. And as you said, it wasn't necessarily a surprise seeing Novak Djokovic in the final. But I think for quite a few people, it was a little bit of a surprise to see Nick Kyrgios in the final. Yeah, I mean, he had some luck along the way. Um, What with initially Berrettini, I guess, withdrawing from Mm. the tournament. That was in his section of the draw. But also Rafa, you know, pulling out prior to the semi-final. Uh, so yeah, he obviously played one match less, but I'm not saying he didn't deserve to be there. He's obviously beaten his opponents on the other side of the net and had some good wins along the way, especially against you know Sitsipas and um, you know come through in five sets against a few players as well. Just think he could have been out in the first round to, to pull Jab as well, so he's had to battle his way through. Um, and he got off to a, a flying start really in, in the final today. You know, clinching that first set six four um, and. Doing, doing pretty well in the second as well. You know, they were both holding serve until kind of the latter stages. And that's kind of when it sort of started to turn for Nick Kyrgios. Mm. He started to bring in the behaviour of old, I guess. He was venting a bit, at, especially at his box. You know, and up to that point, he'd been pretty composed and it seemed to just shift, didn't it? And that was really when 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 the scoreline started to shift as well um I mean what, what did you make of that you know were you when you watched the first kind of bit of the match were you thinking oh yeah. this is Nick Kyrgios at his most professional and then when that started to unveil <laughs> well, we was. just like oh it here was. we go again yeah I think you know Tim Henman I think said on commentary for British viewers that you know he'd never seen Kyrgios this composed and I certainly think the the scale of the occasion, him being in his first Grand Slam singles final. You know, this was a big moment for him. And it was fascinating to see how he was going to to deal with deal with that and whether he was going to rein in his behaviour. And it certainly looked like it was going that way. You know, majority of that first set, he was playing very, very composed. There was none of the Nick Kyrgios antics that we have come to you know associate with him. And he just got on with his tennis and... It was very, it was very, very good. I know we speak about Novak Djokovic. He has developed this habit of of dropping the first set. He's done it for like a few times, um, you know, in this tournament. You know, he did it in his, his semi final against Cam Norrie, and um, you know, Nick Kyrgios was able to to get on top very, very early on. He was serving fantastically. He was very clinical coming to the net, and uh, you know, Novak Djokovic, although you could see his tactics, you could see he was focusing his serve particularly on the you know, on the Nick Kyrgios forehand, um, you know, he felt like that was the, the weaker side. And I think that was a, a smart play. But certainly when it just showed that when Kyrgios kind of puts his mind to something and really kind of focuses on the task at hand, he's a handful, I think, for anyone, you know, regardless of, of how many Grand Slams they won. He is a handful of, for anyone. And I think the, the first set certainly showed that. Yeah, I mean... <sighs> He's a hand for for anyone when he plays, you know, his best tennis. But in a way, you could kind of say that about anyone on the, on the tour or within reason. Mm. You know, Tim Van Reithoven was able to take a set off Novak Djokovic as well. You know, I think there's a lot that's been said about Kyrgios and his his unfulfilled potential and the fact that he's a, I don't know, some people say he's like a genius on the tennis court. But it's like, well, 
his game has come under inspection today in a Wimbledon final and he's come up short. So maybe it's time for those people to kind of hush a bit now because like actually by the end of the match, you know, Djokovic was at such a a strong level. I think in a way Kyrgios just came out looking quite ordinary. Um, but and also his, his behaviour, you know, when he started venting at his box, it's a bit like Medvedev, you know. We know that Medvedev vents at his box quite a lot. His coach just walks out normally. I'm surprised that Kiros's team were, were accepting of all the abuse he was hurling at them. <laughs> we, we did you want a ma- mass a mass exodus from the uh, the player box? Well, of, of I mean, I felt I felt sorry for them. Um, you know, mm. it wasn't really fun. It wasn't nice to watch. You know, I just and uh, you know, fundamentally, you know, I think Kiros probably knows this. You know he knows how he needs to behave like he did in the first set. He needs to get all that activity going on, <laughs> uh, get that controlled because that's as, as you saw from, from Novak and also, um, you know, just generally the great champions, they, they kind of keep it together, don't they? Um, but bit, bit like early days, Andy Murray as well, you know, he used to lose the plot a bit, didn't he? Yeah. I'd certainly think Djokovic, obviously he, he kept it, together throughout the match and that was the big difference I think as as the match went on and I think you're right you know Nick Kyrgios although you look at those set score lines and think they were quite close for example you know the the fourth set went to uh you know a tie break but at the same time Kim Kyrgios wasn't really getting anywhere close to to Novak Djokovic's serve in the service games he didn't come close to really breaking him whereas Djokovic really kind of took his moments and although yeah, you know, there were times when I think you know Nick Kyrgios was looking like he was coasting towards an easy service game, going forty love up. The pressure that Djokovic puts you under in those moments that you think you can, you know, you may let your guard down because you feel like you're clear. That is when he is at his most dangerous, and I think we saw that in this match on the, you know, on the Djokovic on his return game. And um, yeah, it was close, but at the same time, in those games, sometimes it was just kind of like Kyrgios rely on your serve, get to a tie break and see where that ends up. Maybe you could push it to a fifth set. And I felt like that was what he was focusing on in that fourth set because he really wasn't getting at all close to the uh, the Djokovic service game. Yeah, I think obviously most neutrals were hoping for um, a fifth set. I mean, it would have spiced things up, I suppose. I mean, I still think Djokovic would have, would have won, um, but mm. perhaps it might have reinvigorated Nick and he you know perhaps it could have been different but I mean that that did not happen the tie break was pretty one-sided as well so it wasn't even it wasn't even close in the, in that tie break but I mean we had some interesting kind of um interactions as well with with this woman in the crowd that <laughs> I keep seeing all these funny memes on Twitter people going on about <laughs> their 701st drink um you know Kyrgios was not happy with this woman in the crowd sort of muttering uh between like first and second serves he complained to the umpire who you know picked up his phone seemed to be maybe doing something about it but i don't think she was ever like no. ev- evicted so <laughs> it was giving me flashbacks kim to that lady who got escorted out of the australian open uh hurling abuse at rafa courts <laughs> court side who i felt also had maybe a bit too much strength but it was for me it was a case of kind of classic sort of nick Kyrgios in the sense of yes i am chuntering during the match and i'm giving verbals to my team but he was finding other i think feel like sources of sources of annoyance and i understand you know players are hypersensitive to 
the environment around them and maybe things that happen in the crowd that you think now the player's not going to be able to hear that. But it felt like Kyrgios was his concentration obviously was was elsewhere and although it was quite funny hearing it i think on the uh you know on the uh on the commentary and on the on the tv it certainly you know was quite serious i think for for curios and although it sort of just faded into into nothing it just showed that he was kind of very irked and his his attention was elsewhere and in a final against novak djokovic you just can't let that happen and expect to come out as a victor yeah, you can't sort of look to those external sources of mm. frustration. Maybe he wanted a drink. I don't know. Yeah, he's like, yeah, give me a drink as well. I mean, maybe that <laughs> would have helped. Uh, yeah, I mean, and the venting at his box and then, you know, sort of talking about this woman. It's it's kind of, yeah, just you have to really I- ignore those externalities and, and really channel into your like inner core. If you were in Kyrgios's box and he's he's sort of shouting towards you what what would you have done would you because you know they were very they were very supportive you know standing up at the end of each point fists clenched they were looking at him trying to be more positive and give him that you know that encouragement and that motivation or would you have done a you know a Daniel Medvedev coach and, and and walked out on the on your player um I mean yeah you're there to support your your player so you you want to you probably accept that I guess in this case he's gonna be a bit agitated um but I think I don't know after a certain amount of of times I'd probably be like right you're not helping anyone (laughs) like like, I'm gonna get out of here now I'm gonna go and like sit on the hill with a glass of pims or something um but I I mean I see why they you know why you'd stay because you're there because you love and support this person but yeah I guess it depends on the relationship when it's family I suppose you're more likely to stay aren't you but um it depends how yeah how well they might know him (laughs) Because he technically doesn't have a coach, you know, he has a, he obviously has a, a support team, and we you know we saw them all on on show in the in the player box. But he doesn't have a coach, and he talks about going on his own and you know figuring stuff out for himself. Doesn't you know doesn't tend to like you know working you know with a coach. And it's in one sense you know it's been impressive that he's been able to get to Wimbledon coachless. That is something you know I can't think of many players who have been in a situation where you know they've majority of their career they've gone through tennis without having a coach and have been able to reach you know the heights of uh, you know grand slam final and perhaps that just shows the level of talent that he does uh he does possess but at the same time yeah it would just you just want like some someone to kind of get in a room with him talk talk it out with him because when he's giving spending all this energy it feels just like towards you know towards his box uh, towards the fans, it's not going to help your case. And, you know, Novak Djokovic, he was just kind of very smart, went about his business. He went off the court as well to take what felt like a little bit of a tactical toilet break whilst, you know, Nick Kyrgios was just there, just sort of waiting. And you just felt like at any point he was going to erupt on court. Fortunately, that didn't happen. There was one, I think, audible obscenity that led to a warning but um, yeah, Djokovic was just too composed on the day. We know he's been in this situation so many times before. And you just felt if he kind of played his game, the longer the match went on, it was like he didn't almost like need to beat Nick Kyrgios. It just felt like it got to a point where Nick Kyrgios was going to beat himself. Yeah, as is often the case. And I mean, going back to the fact that he doesn't have a coach, I mean, would you want to coach him? <laughs> no. I don't think I would. I think I'd be on tenterhooks the whole time. I, I don't think I would um, feel uh, like it was a, going to be a productive partnership unless Kyrgios majorly changed 
his uh, behaviour. I mean, it's going to be fascinating going forward because, you know, we've got this coaching trial being, sorry, on-court coaching trial being introduced into the tour and we expect to see it at, um, you know, at the US Open, um, you know, later on in the year. And I would be, Kim, absolutely there for seeing on-court coaching with Nick Kyrgios and what that what that looks like but um certainly at the moment it's just like a part a part of the, his game that he's happy to not have a coach but it just feels very much flawed when you get into these biggest situations of all grand slam finals where it's like Novak Djokovic was very very composed and um you know was able to get the job done in four sets it was it, it wasn't um, too difficult, I think, for for Djokovic to go to a level. I feel like players in the past in in finals like Rafa, Roger as well have pushed him to because, as I said, Nick Kyrgios was there. He was going to beat himself up, and that was going to play into Djokovic's hands. Yeah, and I don't think in the run up to the final we'd seen necessarily the best of Djokovic. You know, he no, dropped a few more sets than we have previously seen him do. But I think, obviously, he did enough in this final. He did play, like, extremely well in those last three sets. But, um, yeah, he didn't have to go to to extreme peak Djokovic like we see mm. in those, I don't know, some of those six-hour epics against Rafa. I mean, I don't think he was in, in peak Djokovic mode the whole tournament. I felt like no. we didn't really see the best of him, did we? But his... Even at his his not you know not at his extreme best, he was still able to win the tournament, mm. and that's yep. what the greats the greats are able to do. You know, they're not always going to play lights out tennis, but they get the job done. And I mean, it's funny because well, not funny like ha ha, but it's ironic funny that Djokovic, despite winning this, actually goes down to seven in the in the world rankings because of the the lack of ranking points being awarded. So a lot of people saying like, obviously that's not that's not fair um and it's not i mean it's i'm sure well i mean i'm not sure how many points he's got to defend in the coming months but um it's just an ironic turn of fate as a result of the the lack of ranking points and it could also get worse for djokovic because we don't know if at the moment he's going to be able to play in the us open in the late later on in the year given his uh, you know given his status but he got to the he got to the final last year. There's lots of ranking points there. If he can't go back in and do that, then certainly he's going to drop down the rankings further. And I, and I know that there'll be people out there saying, you know, these players' ranking points don't really mean much to them anymore. They're all about the number of trophies and, and Grand Slam titles in particular. And that that is true. But um, it's still a bit of a mockery when you see Novak Djokovic, the way he has been playing... And winning, you know, winning Wimbledon, for example, it's not, it's, it's a bit weird seeing him still down at seven in the world. Yeah. And I mean, I remember when he had that elbow injury, he went, he went much lower than seven and had to come back up. But I suppose as it stands, he can't play the US Open, can't play next year's Australian Open as it stands. I'm sure the rules will change for at least one of them. So maybe the the lack of, mm. you know, the, the the loss of ranking probably well, it may not have that much material impact in terms of seedings for slams if he can't play those tournaments anyway. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's it's another quirk that we've got at the moment that a lot of people are, are talking about. Um, I mean, another sort of interesting point that we saw today was that the Peng Shui protests. Uh, we had a protester in Centre Court holding up a sign, hashtag where is Peng Shui? Um, and obviously Wimbledon do not allow 
political slogans or messages to be you know worn by players or or in the the fans or the you know crowd or anything so Wimbledon security removed um the protest I think it was an Australian guy and uh I know he was sort of shouting out oh where is Peng Shui um as he was being removed from the from the court so uh, I think there was also I I think I saw on social media that there was a handful of protesters you know in terms of um wearing these shirts and and mm. promote trying to promote the cause um raise awareness of of the fact that we haven't heard about Peng Shui for for months now and they were handing out t-shirts on Hemman Hill I think which was um I don't yeah, know how that went definitely... down with the authorities <laughs> Exactly I mean I think I saw earlier in the week uh groups of play of groups of fans wearing these t-shirts and you already felt that was pushing the envelope and uh this yeah was just un just was unwelcome really um i think we've seen too many protests to be honest on you know during big matches on on primetime courts recently but i was quite impressed with how quickly it was dealt with i was glad the protester didn't get onto the court itself because we've seen that happen you know recently i think back to to Halle where uh you know it happened during the the finals so um yeah, I'm glad it got quickly kind of dealt with. And again, let's just go back to, I think I say this all the time, King, when I hear about these protester stories, do it at the right place at the right time and centre court on you know final Sunday, men's final, it's not the right time. And uh, yeah, I was happy it was sort of quickly dealt with. And yes, this is a, you know, this important topic, important cause. But yeah, I think certainly there's better platforms to raise it on. Yeah, I mean, it, it didn't really affect the the match, did it, um, too much? So, obviously, we sympathise with the cause. But like you said, yeah, there is um, a time and a place. And I think maybe a bit naive to to think that the Wimbledon authorities were just going to, like, let someone pr- promote that kind of slogan <laughs> when they are... They don't even allow, like, big flags in, for Christ's sake, you know. So, they are, they're quite on it, aren't they? I mean, j- just going back to the action, Kim, and, and, and just talking about Nick Kyrgios, I know this is you know his first grand slam final do you see this as a turning moment for him or do you think this is going to be a flash in the pan in terms of you know grand slam finals you think he's missed his shot at becoming a grand slam champion or do you think we will see him at this end of tournaments more frequently as as time moves on i think this is a real opportunity for him to make this count in terms of his career by becoming ever more professional with each passing day you know he's spoken about how previously at like Wimbledon when he got to like fourth rounds or what have you you know he'd be out at the pub like the night before and he's he doesn't do that anymore he's he makes sure that he um has a better kind of schedule and and that you know that's that's progress that's kind of you know what you'd expect a professional tennis player to do so perhaps he might think you know he's had a taste of of a slam final now he's you know, perhaps, you know, going at the setup, he thought, oh, I'm, I, I could do this. And maybe it will make him like it will give him a kick up the bum to to professionalize even more. Um, having said that, I think, you know, can can a leopard change its spots or whatever the saying is? Is is he how much can he really change? Um, does he continue want, wanting to be sort of like a bit of a a rebel in the tennis world? In, in which case, if his behaviour doesn't change, I don't really see him. I mean, he might get to another final. I just, and if it was anyone but maybe big three in the final, yeah, he might be able to do it. So perhaps you know, in a couple of years when they've retired, but you, you could say that about anyone, couldn't you? Uh, to be quite honest, of this, 
I think I, well, the thing that I was impressed by, or, or like just like annoyingly impressed by, was the fact that the, the all this energy that was given towards his his you know his box and all his sort of monologuing on on court. Despite that, he still produced a very good level of tennis that was that kept himself very close in terms of scoreline to to Novak Djokovic. I think you know before we've seen him game do similar things but in this and it's ref, it's actually been truly reflected in the scoreline when it's like oh he's just lost a set in in 20 minutes or he's lost the, the tie break seven love but it's 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 fascinating to me that he's been able to sort of marry the two together in this final because I thought we always just sort of assumed oh Kyrgios is talking to himself he's going to lose now very very quickly but it didn't didn't actually turn out to be that case and it took only a few points here and there for, for Djokovic to really kind of you know, seal a break, take the most of those opportunities that came to him um, and and really kind of, you know, assert his authority on the match. Yeah, and there were a couple of um, crucial games, weren't there, when I think um, Djokovic was, was love 40, serving for the second set and was able to come back and win that game. And then he broke Kyrgios, I think, in the third set when Kyrgios was 40 love up. So those... Um, games you know if they'd have gone differently perhaps you know would have been a different story I, I don't know it's the, that's tennis isn't it it's so many ifs and buts resting on you know the, the, the slightest of points and margins uh, which are always very fine so I think um you know I think overall this didn't have as much controversy as a final that perhaps some people thought there might be like us included it kind of was when I think half for the course like I said earlier I think I'd predicted Novak in four sets I knew it was going to be fairly close like scoreline wise but ultimately you know the champion prevails you know it's going to take some beating to defeat Novak on on centre court you know the last person to do that was Andy Murray back in 2013 Novak's got this ridiculous record on that court he hasn't lost in you know, years. So it's really going to take something superhuman to do that. And that is not Nick Kyrgios in this moment in time. I mean, there was a good debate uh, I was was reading about is is Novak Djokovic more at home on centre court or on or on Rod Raver Arena? It feels like he's got his own spell on on both courts at the Australian Open at Wimbledon. I mean, where, where, where do you think his game is in terms of you know, is strongest on on what court surface? Because I feel like there are arguments for both hard court and grass court, maybe not so much clay court, but given, you know, what he's achieved, um, you know, at at Wimbledon, as you said, fourth straight title, seven Wimbledon titles total, you know, in line with, with, um, with Pete Sampras, do you think this makes him the case and pushes it closer to him saying, well, actually, grass court, that is where I'm at home most. It's not so much... Uh, down under in Melbourne he's a grass court specialist <laughs> um <laughs> no I'm just ribbing I mean, he could be he could be I mean he's a goes on about specialist. well I mean Rafa everyone always says Rafa's a clay court specialist but actually you know he's I would say a, a specialist on all surfaces <laughs> um I mean yeah like I think I think with grass, you know, it doesn't suit a lot of players. A lot of players find it very difficult to play on. So the chances of someone upsetting Djokovic on grass is probably actually less than on a hard court. Um, You know, funnily enough, Djokovic has never been quite as successful at the US Open as he has at the Australian. Um, So obviously they, they play differently. But 
Yeah, I think, I mean, he is the first person um, to have won seven or more majors at, at two slams now, I think. So he's in a unique category. You know, he's breaking records again, left, right and centre. As are, you know, as have all the big three. It's, you know, it's just absolutely mind boggling what they're, what they're doing, what Djokovic is doing. Um, but I, yeah, I think definitely he's, he's, I mean, he's equaled Pete Sampras's record at Wimbledon now. Only Federer has, has more Wimbledon singles titles for the men than, than he does. So, and I'm, I'm sure Djokovic will overtake Federer's eight. I, I, I feel that that's inevitable. Um, even at his age, you know, if he stays fit. And he'll be, yeah, eating that grass for many years to come, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a yes. great celebration, isn't it? I do, I do think that's a, a funny celebration. <laughs> Although someone made the point, someone made the point, um, that Djokovic is so, you know, strict about what he puts into his body. Yeah. He's brazenly <laughs> eating the grass of Centre you know. <laughs> well, Kim, he did almost forget, uh, his anniversary, uh, with his wife, Yelena Djokovic. Uh, Yelena Djokovic, Yelena Djokovic, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, ten-year anniversary, and uh, yeah, needed Sue Barker to bring it up and, and mention, so he didn't forget about it. So it was quite a fun moment on the court. I loved how he was just like, "Oh, happy anniversary." Uh, I may have forgot about it, but hey, I've won Wimbledon again. This is for you. Absolutely typical, honestly. Um, <laughs> I did enjoy seeing his family, though. Um, over the fortnight and doesn't his daughter look like the spitting image of him i just think it's like uncanny but um okay. yeah djokovic household uh obviously celebrating tonight at, at the wimbledon <laughs> ball which is um mm. which is in the, the place that you had your little hospitality i believe joel yeah. i believe i believe so i believe so so um yeah we'll, we'll see a We'll see what moves he breaks out and see what he how he how he scrubs up. But um, yeah, he will be enjoying himself. Uh, you know, two other champions who will be there as well will be Matthew Ebden and Max Purcell, who won the men's doubles championships. They beat Mektic and Pavic in a five-set thriller, four hours and eleven minutes in a last-set tiebreak. Kim, this was a really thrilling, really thrilling match. And Ebden and Purcell were, yes, they got to the final, I believe, in the Australian Open earlier in the year. But their tournament was just, just comeback after comeback after comeback. I think I was reading that if this tournament had been best of three instead of best of five, which is the case at all the other Grand Slams, they would have been knocked out in the first round, second round, the semi-final against Salisbury and Ram, and the final. So they'll be definitely one of those proponents of having best of five for doubles. Yeah, I mean, they must be knackered now, but they've played a lot of tennis, especially also playing like the mixed doubles with Ebden. You know, he got to the mixed doubles final. But um, yeah, I mean, they all credit to them. They they fought their way valiantly throughout the tournament in many of the rounds. And, you know, I think this match really in the final had five sets written all over it. Um, I think I joked that it would go to a last set tie break and it, it didn't disappoint. Um, <laughs> it, that is exactly what happened. Mm. And I mean, what is also remarkable, though, is that Matej Pavic was playing with a broken wrist. Um, it wasn't his dominant like racket hand, but it was, you know, his other hand. But he was, yeah, he has a broken wrist and he was playing a five set uh, Wimbledon Was it Pavic? I swear final. it was Mektic. No, I think it was Matej Pavic. Mektic. Oh, OK. Yeah. Maybe they both had broken wrists, in which case, <laughs> that's, that's amazing. They almost won the title. But yeah, I mean, all credit to the Australian pairing. They, you know, they, they did deserve it. And I... 
I begrudge them for beating Joe Salisbury, but at least yeah, Joe Salisbury morning. lost to the champion. <laughs> that is very um, true. That is very yeah. true. Ebden and Purcell, you know, um, full credit to them. They got to the Australian Open doubles final earlier in the year and, and lost to Kyrgios and, and Kokonakis. So it's nice that they've managed to, to get a slam. Um, although Matthew Ebden, he's um, saying that uh, they're sort of referring to themselves as the M&Ms you know, Max and, and Matt, I guess. Um, so some copyright ha- infringement there. Well, I mean, yes, twice over, not just because of the chocolates, M&M, but, you know, the the world-famous doubles pairing between Mark Lopez and Marcel Granolas <laughs> a few years back, they oh. were called the M&Ms. So it's oh. already been done. It's already been done. It's already Well, maybe thing. the M&M legacy is continuing on. Maybe. Through in which herself from... Yeah. from spain to australia i should start supporting them then but yeah the m&ms <laughs> if any spanish fans listening hopefully you'll remember um it was definitely a thing but anyway i you know fair play to them they they won the they won the doubles um so australia do have a grand slam winner uh although it's not nick kiros but it's ebden and purcell uh but let's take a quick break now uh we'll be back in the second half looking the ladies singles final at Wimbledon so do not go anywhere welcome back to our Wimbledon finals catch-up sponsored by local tennis leagues and now we're going to move on to look back on the women's final from Saturday Uh, Elena Rabakina against Ons Jabor Um, I mean this didn't really go the way we were predicting, did it, Joel? I think we'd both predicted Onjabor to win. Uh, we thought, you know, she was the higher seed. We kind of thought she was like, obviously playing super well, had the variety to come through and, and get that coveted, you know, first slam. But Rebecca on the day, um, after that first set, she was absolutely a woman on a mission. It was 3 6 6 2 6 2. Won it on her first match point, first championship point, I should say. And, uh, I, I loved most of all her, her reaction. It was just super calm. It was like, oh yeah, I've just just won a match. Not you know, not the Wimbledon title. It was really uh, an odd way actually to to win the match. She almost apologetically uh, made her way to the player box afterwards um you know to go and celebrate with her, you know, with her team. But um yeah, she played some fantastic tennis um against Jabor. Like you, I thought thought Jabor and her variety was going to be too much uh, for for Rybakina and it looked that way after you know after the first set you know Jabor was getting a lot more returns in play than you know Rybakina had faced I think in her previous matches and um you know once the the, the once the points were getting into the rally Jabor was kind of coming out on top and you know early on I was wondering I think you know, Jabor went 3-1 up she had break points to go 4-1 up and I was just thinking is this going? Is this going the way like Ash Barty, Carolina Pliskova first set did? Uh, you know, last year um, because Jabor really was really, really started kind of positively, and I think really, really kind of embraced that you know the challenge and being you know on in a Grand Slam final for the first time, and you could just see that in the way that she started, but she wasn't able to kind of keep it up, and you know one of the reasons for that I felt was right back in her and her movement at the net. Um, 
it was a lot better than I was expecting. I think there's still question marks over her net game. There were some dodgy volleys at times and her execution I don't think was as good as it, it needed to be. It wasn't as clinical, I, I, I think. But at the same time, she was able to kind of, you know, I think nullify the, the Jabour drop shots that were coming quite quite often. Um, but yeah, Rybakina was, was up to the task. Yeah, I mean, I was very impressed because actually with that third set, you know, I was fully expecting the momentum to shift back the other way. Mm. Um, and it was Rebecca that looked the most comfortable. Um, you know, Jabour, especially in that last game, you know, a couple of sort of wayward errors from Jabour. And I just thought, mm. you know, I thought, I, yeah, exactly. I really did think that she would give more. I'm not saying she wasn't giving or trying, but it's... Um, yeah, she just seemed to get very frustrated. Perhaps she had also not underestimated Rabakina, but I think there was, you know, Rabakina was just much more solid, um, you know, big serving. And and there were a couple of crucial games. You know, I thought in that second set, she was a breakup. Jabour had, I think, three breakback points. Rabakina was able to to save them all and then obviously went on to break Jabour again, clinched the set. And, um, you know, straight away in that third set, she broke and... The fact that she was able to maintain that lead, like she did against um, Halep, actually, in the semi-final, I thought her composure and her calmness was um, the most impressive thing, actually. And I guess she carried that on you know, throughout the celebration afterwards, just really, really composed. And, um, you know, perhaps Nick Kyrgios should be on the phone. How did you maintain your composure? Give me some tips. Yeah, because, uh, you know, we, we spoke about that variety versus power clash of styles but the more you watch that match the more you realize there was a clash of styles in terms of emotion versus no emotion on the court and I wondered whether you know after the match whether Jabour just got too excited uh, or you know was just too emotionally involved uh, you know with that first set geeing up the crowd playing to the crowd and when it wasn't going her way she didn't really have any any answers to it and as you said the composure of of Rybakina, who was very kind of you know silent, <laughs> a little bit like Krachik. I imagine like Krachikova is just very kind of silent, but very deadly and effective at the same time. And um, it was that sort of emotionless approach, I think, that really probably helped her deal with the occasion. Because you know we we spoke about in the past how she's not been able to really. I think in her last four finals, uh, she's always ended up as the runner up. And I think just being able to strip the emotion out of out of a Grand Slam final really helps, I think, just help level this match and make it feel like just one more match. And perhaps that helped Rybakina um, in her approach, particularly when she went down the set that it didn't really kind of phase her or, or get on top of her. And she just still just had the confidence to, to back her game. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's obviously so key because we've seen it in so many finals, haven't we, where players just are so nervous they they can't mm. perform they can't play their their game and you, we never see the best of them and you think god how on earth do they get to this final because they're just not able to yeah. to perform and this was definitely not the case it was really nice to see that she was able to play her game and and grow and develop as the match went on and we don't get a lot of comeback comebacks in finals do we no, coming back no. from a set down that is that is a very very difficult thing to do. Yeah, we see a lot of um, nervy first sets, uh, growing and then you know dropping the first set, growing into the match, maybe clinching the second, taking it into a third, and then it's you know flies back to the the way of the 
the mm. other person who won the first set. We 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 sort of see it sort of like clinging on rather than right. I'm now taking ownership of this match. Um, and you know, I think like in terms of Jabor, she should obviously be extremely proud. She's got to this this point in the um in the tournament, her first Slam final. I know this was the tournament that she was really earmarking at the start of the year, so I'm sure she is pretty gutted. Um, but and you know, I'm sure she'll she'll learn from this experience and work on on that and then you know it, it's it's a difficult day obviously for her and her fans and I would have loved to have seen her her win but I'm super pleased for Rebecca as well I mean she's you know I think either both of them deserve to win it and you know it was just um Rebecca on the day a lot stronger and I mean I remember Joel I think this time last year I'm sure I put her in like maybe my semi-final predictions or something. <laughs> so I'm like kind of secretly chuffed, oh, you know, that she, like I was just a year too early. Um, but it's funny that, you know, before this tournament, like she had no form coming into this tournament. Like she struggled this year with illness and injury. So there was nothing really to suggest that she was going to suddenly go on a run here. Um, so anyone who did predict her, well done. <laughs> I do think, you know, having a power game helps you or a power-based game helps you, I think, just be able to bring it together because i feel like it's a lot simpler than having a more varied Mm. game where you have lots of different shots you know available to you therefore you have lots of more opportunities i feel for everything to go wrong so i think it's interesting how you know players who you know might not be playing well in in the build-up who have this aggression-based game from the baseline big serving big forehand big ground strokes i think it just shows that regardless of form they're always going to be dangerous because if they can put it together and in my head it's easier to put that together than a more variety based game then you know they could end up as a as a grand slam champion and you know kim i know i know you were you were just saying you were you were chuffed because of your predictions last year well obviously the russian tennis federation and all of russia uh, i swear <laughs> as soon as as soon as she won i've i've already seen kind of was already kind of seeing uh, sort of comments uh, from from Russia being like, ah, oh, yes, uh, great success for for Russia, um, and uh, obviously we we know the whole kind of context there. I mean, what what is your kind of take on that in terms of like the fact that this has happened? There was no kind of like mention of it or hint towards it in the, in the ceremony, obviously. But you know, where do you think this kind of leaves you know the situation between? you know, Russia and Wimbledon and the fact that we do have a Russian-born ladies singles champion. Yeah, I think it's um, it's it's quite ironic, really. Um, and I, I do wonder if the Wimbledon organisers are like, ah, damn it. <laughs> um, because obviously they were so intent you on banning... my attack. Yeah, <laughs> so intent on banning Russians and Belarusians that... But yeah, I mean, Elena Rabakina, obviously not representing Russia. She's representing Kazakhstan. But, you know, when you look back at the, at her upbringing her, her parentage where she, where she still lives i think she still has her official residence in russia you know she moved to represent kazakhstan like f- 5 years ago and obviously in in her press conference she was very you know complimentary said she was supporting um you know that kazakhstan have always supported her and you know she's representing them end of um someone did try to ask her to condemn the war um condemn like putin she did not answer that and i think that's that's fair because you know by answering something like that it could be putting yeah family at risk just let her Russia. celebrate the moment exactly let her celebrate it's, it's the like, moment exactly i just didn't think that was an appropriate question to ask um 
at that stage. Um, but yeah, I mean, I obviously I I disagreed with the ban on on Russian players, so I'm doesn't bother me that she's won Wimbledon because I don't think the Russians should have been banned anyway from the tournament. So, um, but I think it, yeah, it's, it's there's sort of a certain comedy value, I guess, or irony, I guess, <laughs> against the, the Wimbledon yes. bigwigs yes. who made made. Wait, that I'm waiting for the memes, Kim. I'm waiting for the memes, but uh, yeah, I think it's, for me, kind of. I almost see, still see this as like Russia's loss because I think mm. this has just shown them they let a talent, they let a talent, a Grand Slam winning talent slip through their fingers. You know, they they didn't give her the support that she needed at, you know, at a younger age. And then, you know, she said, well, fair enough. I'm, I'm going to go and play for a, you know, a, different, a different nationality. And um, I think, you know, in all seriousness, I think there should be, would be, would be kind of questions there in terms of like looking at talent from a younger age and and how we support them or how we define them because there are players who it might not necessarily happen for them straight away but actually they need a little bit more time to develop and um yeah I feel I think it's for me like a a big disappointment for for Russia I don't think they can yes they'll obviously think you know try and portray it as a as a big success in a in a moment they they might get but um at the same time i feel like it's just you you let this player slip through your fingers and as a result it's doing great things for kazakhstan instead yeah russia's loss is kazakhstan's gain you know this is their first mm. ever grand slam champion so i bet they're very uh, pleased with their decision to mm. to you know get her to switch nationality and i mean russia yeah they haven't had a singles grand slam a women's champion obviously medvedev won last year but they haven't had a women's singles champion in quite a while. I mean, Pavlichenko got to the final, didn't she, of the French last year? But it's been, yeah, a really long time coming. Um, so, do perhaps... you see? Do you see Rybakina as a a one slam champion? I know we've. I feel like on the ladies' side, we we do have this this group of players at the moment that are in that one slam champion category, like uh, Yelena Ostapenko comes to mind, Sloane Stevens. Do you think Rybakina will be put in that category or do you think do you see her being a a multiple slam champion? I mean, she's only 23, so time is mm. like on her side, um but there are there are so many one time slam champions aren't there on the women's yeah. side. So I can kind of see I I mean I wouldn't expect her to win another slam straight away. I think she's certainly obviously got the game in her. She's proved that this week. Uh, this this fortnight, I should say. So I don't. There's no reason why she shouldn't be able to. But I, I'm not going to get carried away and say she's like the next big thing in women's tennis. I, you know, I I don't think that would be sensible to say. But there's no reason why she shouldn't. It's just making that con- consistency count. And you know, it's very different going into a, the next slam as a slam champion and having everyone looking at you with your the pressure on. So. I, f- I don't I feel know like we're going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're going to be. Are oh, we going to be adding to this one Slam champion pot a lot? I feel um, you know over the next few years, given uh, given you know this draw was very very open. You know we said that any one of the the hundred and twenty eight players in the draw could win, and you know, I don't think that's going to change come the U.S. Open. And I think genuinely that's a reason to be, if you're a Serena fan, assuming she you know, plays at the US Open, I think that's a reason to feel optimistic because I just feel like the, the draws are just so open on, on the women's side. It's very, very hard to predict. It's very, very hard to know who's going to go deep. There seems to be a lot of 
big players who aren't in the best of form as well, which is adding a little bit of a, a complexity. Uh, and it's opening up these opportunities, I think, for players who are ready to kind of seize their moment. And certainly Rybakina has done that. Onjabor has also done that. I feel like she will have her time at some point. I don't think she's going to go away and get too down in the dumps about you know ending up as as the runner up. Yes, you know she really really wanted it, and I think she does have that that drive and that hunger, and she's had that taste now that I do think that you know she's going to be there or thereabouts come you know the the hard court swing in in you know in the United States. So um, yeah, it's it's certainly added another player um, you know to you know, to the talk, to the conversation, I think, about you know, who could be a, a Grand Slam champion. I agree. I think, um, you know, she's got a fantastic game for the hard courts, obviously. And we've seen her previously have put these streets together of, of reaching, you know, consecutive finals. And I think it was quite funny, actually, that she managed to win this one because we were saying about, you know, in our previous board, her finals record is not great. Um, but it's it's mm. like all those finals she lost, totally worth it because the, the main one that she won was was this Wimbledon final. Yeah. So it was a nice, like, sweet irony there. But, I mean, good luck to her. Um, she's done fantastically well and, um, you know, beat Halep en route as well, who was playing awesome tennis. So absolutely deserved victory. Um, women's doubles, Joel, we had... Uh, a, well, very um, established doubles pairing between Krachikova and Sinyakova, the Czech pairing. They won their second Wimbledon title, their second slam of the season and their fifth slam together overall. Um, they beat Mertens and, and Zheng Shui. Um, straight sets, pretty pretty straightforward, 6-2, 6-4, um, just over an hour's, hour's play. Um, so, yeah, that, they were fantastic uh triumph for them to what i think is funny um we've said it before i think when they when they won but they won the girls singles back in 2013 so they oh, are they? playing together a long long time wow. and uh it's nice that they've transferred that onto the the senior tour but yeah they've pretty much won everything they they can except for the u.s open so <laughs> just got to take that off and they they didn't have the opportunity to to play uh, at, at Roland Garros earlier this season because Krachikova mm. had to pull out because she tested positive for for COVID. So um, yeah, nice nice story for the, them getting back on track as a doubles pairing. I mean, they're pretty formidable. Like I feel like Krachikova still has got a little bit of a way to go in in singles in terms of getting back up there. I feel like she's dropped off a little bit over the last few months. Um, but um, yeah, certainly in doubles, it's they're they're pretty imperious, aren't they? They definitely are a really, really strong, strong pairing. I mean, as are Mertens mm. and Zhang, to be fair. Yeah. It was, I think, the top two seeds in the final. But um, yeah, the Czech pairing came came out on top, um, which was, yeah, I guess nice for Krajikova because she didn't have the best uh, singles tournament. Um, I mean, let's just round up some of the other results, Joel, before we get on to the most important result of all, which is collector set, obviously. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, we had the junior tournament obviously taking place. Uh, so the Wimbledon boys was won by a Croatian, uh, Millie Polichak, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, I think first, Cro- first, first Croatian player to win the boys singles. Uh, he beat Michael Zheng, two tie break sets. And uh, we had the American Liv Hovde winning the girls singles against Luka Udvardi of Hungary, 6-3, I, I was looking at some of the junior results, actually, this tournament, because I watched, um, when I went to Wimbledon last week, I watched this young German girl called Ella Seidel. So I was following her results because I saw her win in a 
like last set tiebreaker was quite a dramatic match so I was wondering how she would do I think she actually lost her Hof day en route so I mean the one result for me that really stuck out was the girls doubles final because we had a champion from Africa and it was Kenya's Angela Okutoyi winning with Rosemary Niekamp. Kim, I was reading up on on Angela Okutoyi earlier and it's an amazing story what she's done to even just get to, to get to Wimbledon. She's not even she, I think she literally played on grass for the first time like a few weeks ago, but she was born and had time in a Nairobi orphanage before getting to Wimbledon and yeah first girl from Kenya to play at Wimbledon for more than 40 years so an amazing story there and then just to get there and to go on to win the uh the doubles tournament I mean that is that's that's seriously impressive that is amazing yeah I mean Mm. fantastic fantastic news and yeah what a story I mean when she makes it onto the senior tour can imagine Mm. there's going to be a lot of a lot of chat around that yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, we've had um, some disappointment in the wheelchair um, results today as well for, for Britain. We had Alfie Hewitt in the final against Shingo Kuneda. Um, Alfie Hewitt served for the match four times, um, oh, but no. it was not to be. Kuneda won in a last set tie break. He won um, like seven points in a row uh, from 5-3 down in that tie break to win the match. Um, so obviously Hewitt bit bit gutted as he said afterwards but you know again another fantastic match you know had mm. a great semi-final really entertaining final just wasn't obviously wasn't to be and it was doubles disappointment as well yeah I know him and Gordon Reed lost in the doubles as well to um to Canada and Fernandez so yeah I think that was ending their run of 10 consecutive Grand Slam doubles titles. So, I mean, it had to end at some point, didn't it? You know, <laughs> 10 is a bit ridiculous. End, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But yeah, fair play and well done to their opponents. Um, which does bring us on now to collect a set, Joel, because it's, you know, the most important result, as I said. <laughs> um, not a particularly high-scoring collector set this, this no. time round. Uh, <laughs> Definitely not between us either. <laughs> Oh, no, we both got all of ours completely incorrect. Um, and we actually haven't had to go to a tiebreaker this time round, which is interesting. Um, but we do have a winner, which is Phil. Um, so Phil Mac 17 on Twitter. Uh, well done, Phil. You got two correct answers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, you got Serena Wright and also Rafa. And Phil had put Kyrgios to win. So like really, really close on that one as well. Could have been three. Um, but we'll be in touch with Phil to get him a special tennis weekly prize for for that. Um and the also new shout mug, out him. Really the exciting. New mug. The new yeah. mug. They're <laughs> on your doorstep at the moment. I hope no one's I hope no one's pinched them. Oh no, I'm sure they'll be fine. Um but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, new tennis weekly mugs. Um but yeah, special shout out is also to Topspin Lobber. He was the only one to get Igor Svontek correct. Uh, and also shout out to Andrew Davies Casting, uh, also the only one to get Coco Goff correct. Um, so yeah, not I think the most correct prediction was Rafa. Um, and yeah, everyone else, it was, yeah, not. <laughs> it's a very difficult tournament to predict. Less said the better. Less said the better. <laughs> yeah, but well done everyone who took part. And we'll be back uh, as always for the US Open this yeah this year later this year for our next edition um we have more tennis though to talk about before we go for today don't we joel um because we've got some tournaments happening this coming week uh yeah. there is life after grass Wimbledon. court season is not over kim 
yeah, it's still going on. People are clinging to it. Um, there's a tournament out in Newport in the Hall of Fame and in um, Rhode Island, which uh, Andy Murray is is playing, which is exciting. Uh, but he's got the likes of John Isner to contend with, uh, Felix Ogiel-Yassim, Maxime Cressy, Tim Van Reithoven, and Feliciano Lopez. I mean, this is actually it's a very, very good lineup. Yeah, I know. It's going to be very exciting. And Max Purcell is there as well, Kim. Um, <laughs> no, in all seriousness, no. Murray, I think he's got quite a good draw. He's got Sam Query in round one. He is seeded, Kim. He does not need a wild card. Uh, to play tournaments, it feels like anymore. That uh, achievement is now with Stan Vavrinka, who I feel is like you, Andy Murray, who's got a, <laughs> who's got a wild card into Bashdad. Um, Dominic Team is also playing Bashdad, so can he get that elusive uh, win on the ATP tour? He plays Rusevori of Finland in the first round. Feels quite tight. Kasparud mm. is the top seed. We know he loves playing these sorts of events and going back to the clay he'll certainly feel right at home and um yeah we've got lausanne and the hungary hungarian grand prix which are on clay uh on the women's side both 250s and yeah kim what 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 interests me about the hungarian grand prix is that there is actually a formula one hungarian grand prix so the tennis tournament as well it's it for me it's just like confusing matters completely I mean, if Lewis Hamilton wants to turn up on a tennis court instead, I mean, imagine if he went to the wrong Hungarian Grand Prix. He might look a bit out of place uh, stepping onto court with, with a women's uh, the draw. likes of yeah. Anna Bogdan. Special exemption. Special exemption. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think he's probably quite nifty at tennis, to be fair. Um, I, I think, think I've, I've seen, seen him, him on a tennis court. Yeah, uh, with, his dad, with his dad, yeah, playing mm. tennis. Yeah, I think I probably <laughs> shared that with you. Yeah. Um, but and I've, there was a photo of, of him meeting Rafa in, in Tokyo many years ago. And I thought, oh, how nice. My two favourite sports people. <laughs> um, just on the note of, um, of of the Bastad tournament, I noticed in the draw we've got um, Aslan Karatsev and Nikolos Basilashvili potentially meeting in the second round. Now, interestingly, there's been um, out on Twitter reporting today that a German uh, sort of newspaper has done some digging and I, I mean I'm, these are allegations at this stage we don't know if there's any truth behind them um, allegations of match fixing featuring both of those players and a former coach so um, I mean we won't go too much into it but it, we'll have to see how that story develops because yeah. yeah it doesn't sound good you definitely know that story is gonna to rear itself if yeah they play they face each other in round two which could which could could, could happen. happen so um yeah, yeah so uh, we'll have to wait and see but uh yeah we've got Danielle Collins and Belinda Bencic in Lausanne uh, as the top seeds and Krachikova and Trevisan in Hungary so uh yeah we'll see we'll see how they they get on getting in some clay court tennis uh before the the American hard hard court swing turns up but um yeah it's it's a uh, it's i always forget about these tournaments kim because they're so like instantly after wimbledon that um yeah it's just a reminder that just tennis it's the sport that keeps on giving isn't it yeah and i always find it weird to, to go from grass have a few little weeks on clay and then go on to hardcore it doesn't really make sense um well kim we've gone from clay to grass back to clay yeah and then they'll be going on to hardcore again it's like have a tournament in lausanne <laughs> fine but make it a hardcore one or i don't know i mean uh, you, you failed to mention that that caroline garcia is in i was just lausanne. i was just looking so at that. 
the renaissance mm. is going to restart mm. trust oh, me oh here Joel. we go well and, and yule niemeyer is also mm. in the draw unseeded so i'm curious to see if she can keep, keep it up tatiana maria also there could face garcia actually in, in round two so there are some players there certainly who did well at wimbledon i'll be interested to see how they get on but um this is i hope you've enjoyed listening to uh this finals round by round catch up with tennis weekly we just want to say big thanks for all of our listeners who have stuck with us over the last couple of weeks for our wimbledon coverage a big shout out as well to our sponsor local tennis leagues for sponsoring our coverage so um yeah we just hope you've enjoyed listening to us playing along with us we've enjoyed hearing your comments as well on social media on twitter facebook and instagram so uh, yeah thanks for thanks for supporting us absolutely and uh, we've got a little special extra episode coming i think mm. in the next few days uh, which is uh, not really Wimbledon focus, but it's a uh, well. Uh, can can we reveal? It's kind of Joel, Wimbledon focus. Kind of Wimbledon. It's focus. kind of Wimbledon focus. Yes, we've got. Um, we were fortunate enough to be invited to watch the preview screening of a John McEnroe documentary, uh, which is going to be coming out in cinemas in the UK next Wednesday. We had the chance, or, or actually, I had the chance. Kim unfortunately wasn't able to make it, but I had the chance to uh, speak to the director Barney Douglas and composer Felix White from the BBC cricket podcast Tailenders. Um, we, yeah, I was able to kind of have a chat with them about the documentary, about John McEnroe, what they learned. It's really, really interesting. Uh, we're going to probably put it up on Wednesday or Thursday next week. So have a look out for that. But uh, we obviously will be back into tour catch-up mode. Wimbledon is over. Let's get back into the tour catch-up. Get me a mysterious player, Kim, <laughs> and a mailbag question. Um, no, we, uh, yeah, we will be back uh, with our regular tour catch-up probably next Monday. So look out for that. But in the meantime, I hope you've enjoyed listening once again to our Wimbledon round-by-round round coverage with Tennis Weekly. Remember to subscribe to us on whatever device you listen to us on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Uh, let us know all your thoughts and feedback and any comments and questions you may have. Uh, you can do that via email as well if you prefer TennisWeeklyPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website if you have a moment, www www.tennisweekly.co.uk and we will be back next time at tennis weekly hq to catch up on all the latest events from the atp and wta tours as i said i think it will probably be a week monday so i hope you can join us then make sure to look out for that john McEnroe documentary episode as well midweek but in the meantime it's goodbye from kim goodbye and it's goodbye from me we will see you again soon 